Now, it's interesting, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, how many of the songs that have been written and sung that, that we know and that we could sing along with, they certainly do reflect, in a lot of ways, the, the cries of our heart, the, the deep needs that we have. And that song, Lean on Me, by Bill Withers so many years ago, a song that really portrays what a lot of life is about. There are times when, when you need somebody that you can draw strength from. And as much as we can say from spiritual terms that, well, we should draw our strength only from Jesus Christ, we know that sometimes and many times He gives us strength through other people. And then there are times when you need to be that person who gives strength to someone else, and you know exactly what that's like. You've had people who have struggled for whatever reason, and they've leaned on you. Lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll help you carry on, he says. That, that's, that seems to be, at least in our society, we think we've invented everything. We find ourselves, in our own estimation, to be extremely intelligent to be extremely sophisticated, and yet that kind of idea is not a new one, it's an ancient one. You see the idea of leaning on one another throughout the pages of Scripture, and one in particular we'll see this morning, is in Galatians chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. You've got a handout there in your bulletin, and you can follow along with the version that we'll be looking at this morning. But if, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, that'll be where we camp out today. We're in a series called Together. The idea is that we, we want to see, and I hope that I can help you see the, the power, the benefit, the necessity of godly relationships in your life. I, I honestly believe that you would not be here this morning unless there was some desire in your heart, whether you've identified it as such or not, whether you know it's there, whether you want it to be there, whether you recognize it, you would not be here this morning unless there was some desire in your heart to both connect with God in relationship and then by default to connect with other people who are connecting with God in relationship. We're born for that. We are born to relate to other people. We were not designed to go through life alone. And so this series called Together... Is meant to highlight the ancient principles behind what we may think are some modern ideas. Lean on me is certainly one of those. Galatians is a letter to a group of churches that were struggling, apparently, as we see in the letter, they were struggling, apparently, with what it meant to live in and to live out the grace of God. They were combining some things for their salvation, at least they thought. They were, they were adding some things to what needed to happen in order for them to know Jesus. And Paul was telling them, it's not about what you can do, it's about what Jesus has already done. And in a nutshell, that's the gospel. In a nutshell, that's the message of Christ. It's not about what you can do to try to get yourself to God, because you can never do enough. The, the gap is not crossable by human effort. And Paul wanted them to know, you, you don't need to say Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus this over here, that over there, is what will get you to God. He just says, look, Jesus has already bridged the gap. Simply trust Him. Live in His grace, and then as a result, live out His grace. Just as a reiteration, make sure you understand that that's the gospel message. The gospel message is not, be a better person so God will like you. The gospel message is not make up for all the wrong things you've done because one day the good's going to outweigh the bad and you better do a lot more good than bad because that's what is, is going to tip the scale. 
The gospel message is that you could never do enough to get to God. You can't ever do enough good things to outweigh even one sin. And yet the gospel message is even in that bad news that God will punish sin. The great news is, is that Jesus came and did it all for us. He lived the good life, the perfect. It matters that Jesus was perfect. You realize that? It matters that he lived a sinless life. Because we couldn't, and his life is the only one that can bridge the gap to God. He fulfilled all of God's requirements. It matters that Jesus died on the cross because sin must be paid for. God is not only loving, but also just and righteous. So sin must be dealt with and paid for. And it matters that Jesus rose again, the the, the essential elements of the gospel, that he lived, that he died, that he was raised again. Because without his resurrection, we have no hope that this life is not all there is. So the gospel message Paul is telling them is, look, live in the grace of God. Don't add anything to Jesus. You may be struggling with that this morning. That's why I harp on it for just a second. Because in our society, you may be struggling with, well, I need to do more in order to get to God. Maybe God will like me. Maybe I'll feel better about myself if I do more good things, if I show up at church more, if I serve more, whatever. And Paul was just telling them, look, Jesus has already done it all. That's the gospel message. Simply receive through faith the gift offered to you, both for salvation and then for freedom in life. Paul said in Galatians 5.1, we have been set free so that we'll be free. <laughs> so don't take on this, this yoke, this burden, he says, of slavery anymore to sin. Don't do that anymore. Not because God won't like you, but because that's not the life you've been designed for. The gospel message, Paul said, is simple. It's not what you can do to get to God, so stop trying. It's what Jesus has already done so that you can be made right with God by his grace through faith, so simply receive it. And like all of Paul's letters that he wrote to different churches, he starts off by giving them all the theological truth, and then he shows them, now here's what happens as a result of all of that. And so he's telling them to live in and to live out the grace of God, To simply receive Jesus, don't add anything to him, just live him out, let him live through you. And he says in chapter 6, here are some ways, and one that we'll look at in particular, here's some ways that that can happen. Galatians, Paul says, God's grace has set you free to experience true life and true love. So live like it. And in chapter 6, here's an example. Now what we're going to do, is simply walk through this piece by piece. Okay, so I'm going to stop quite a bit in between when I'm reading the verses. So if that frustrates you, prepare to be frustrated. All right, if you like some explanation as we go along, then hey, you're going to resonate this morning. So tolerate or enjoy whichever, but I hope you hear from God this morning as we look at the Scripture. Look at Galatians chapter 6, the very first word of the very first verse in this chapter. He says, brothers... Now, let me pause for just a second. He's going on in, in a minute, in the rest of verse 1, he's going to talk about some things that may make them feel a little awkward, a little uncomfortable. He's going to command them to do some things that might be a little difficult. So he begins by, by setting the tone to say, look, brothers. Now, ladies, let me just tell you that he's not just talking to the men here. And in fact... We see in the New Testament that every time that the the church is addressed as brothers, it certainly includes the sisters as well. But what what the New Testament writers, beginning with, with the life of Jesus, are doing is instead of ignoring women, they are elevating women to what is recognized and should have been recognized all along as an equal spiritual status with men. 
So in, in saying brothers and sisters, he's saying, look, ladies, you have the same access to God these men do. You are received as if you are a full son, and in that society, that meant a lot. Understand, they're not talking to people in 21st century America. It may be offensive to us to say, well, brothers only, but what he's saying is, ladies, you know how you've sort of been felt and, and been treated as if you're second-class citizens? You don't get an inheritance from your father and all that? He said, let me tell you what the death and resurrection of Jesus have done. They've made sure that you are you understand and can be recognized as on equal footing with men before God. So when he says brothers, it's no slam against women. It actually is elevating them to a position that they were never recognized to be in in the first place. So ladies, I hope that you understand that. It is a, it is a, a recognition, it is an elevation. So he's writing to them. He's going to tell them some different things that are kind of tough. There are lots of people apparently going down a wrong path. And he wants them to make sure that, first of all, they understand we're all brothers and sisters here. He's going to talk about leaning on one another. And unless you start with the fact that you're leaning on family, it won't last long. The truth is, we do well to remember this a lot more. Both in our own church and certainly in in churches around and in in just relationships between Christians. To remember, as my home church pastor used to, to love to say, we're on the same team working for the same cause. <laughs> so much division among Christians, isn't there? And that's a lot of our reputation, unfortunately. What happens to one happens to all. What affects one should affect all. When one celebrates, we all should celebrate. When one cries, we all should cry. When one feels joy, when one feels pain, we should resonate with that. Because the truth is, we're not a country club. We're not a charitable organization. We're not a religious business. We are a family. A family of God knit together, tied together, brought together by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We are in this together. He says, brothers, when he tells them they're to lean on one another, when they are to carry each other's load, when they are to carry each other's burdens, and he gives an example of this in verse 1, the first thing that must be remembered is that they and we are family. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing... He doesn't really specify here exactly the wrongdoing that he's talking about. So you look to the context. What else has he written? What's, what, what's he talking about? The previous chapters give some idea. There's some wrong belief that's going on. As I mentioned before, they're, they're, they're confusing the gospel message. It's a wrongdoing. It's a trespass to add, to add anything to Jesus for salvation. So he says, if anybody's caught in any wrongdoing, there's some sinful behavior, there's some wrong belief that's going on, there's, there's a transgression of some kind. The word transgression simply means, some of your versions may say that, simply means to cross a line. You've stepped over the line. Here's the boundary that has been set by God, or here's the boundary that you should not cross for somebody else, and we've stepped across that. So something has happened. He's highlighting the fact that maybe somebody has been caught in a sin against God or against someone else. And when he says caught, all he means is just it's come to light. We know about it. He's not talking about here that people should have license to be the church and moral police. And maybe you've been in church with people like that before. They feel as if they have been given the spiritual gift of letting everyone else know when they're wrong. I don't find that one in the scripture, but they believe that they have been given that gift to point out the faults of everyone else. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying if you go around and you find somebody who's doing something wrong. He's saying, look, folks, in in the family of God, if, if it's apparent that someone is living in a wrong belief 
or they've got sin in their life and it's come to light, what do you do then? He wants them to remember they're a part of the family. This is about brothers and sisters in Christ who love one another. You think about it for a second. What normally happens in a situation like this? If someone is, is caught in any wrongdoing, what, what do we first think that maybe we should do? Maybe, maybe we avoid them. I, I, you know what? They're going down a path. I don't know. You know. They've made their bed. I guess they'll lie in it. We avoid them, or, or, or maybe we just ignore them completely. Or worse, we talk about them a lot. We share the story concerned for, for, their, you know, for their sake, but we share the story. We shame them in a lot of cases. You realize that shame is not from God? The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8 that there is no condemnation. There is no shame heaped upon those who are in Christ Jesus. Shame comes from Satan himself. Now, guilt for sin, that's a different story. To recognize our guilt that, yes, I have sinned, does not equal shame. It just recognizes I need a Savior. Shame doesn't come from God. Sometimes we abandon people that we look at and say, well, they've messed up. A lot of times we do anything but help them. But here's what Paul is highlighting, that, that those who are in it together, true friends in Christ, here's what they know. He says it very well in verse 1. You who are spiritual should restore such a person. Paul knows that people need restoration, not condemnation. We, we pay attention to this this morning. Not because it's so great what I have to say, but it's so great what God inspired Paul to write. We, we don't need condemnation. we got plenty of that. There are plenty of people who are going to tell you how awful you are. There, there are plenty of ways that you're going to feel awful about what you've done. What we need is restoration. How can we be made right? How can we be set back up again? Paul lets them know, look, when somebody is caught, when somebody's struggling, when they find themselves on the ground, weak, whatever it may be, even if it's of their own wrongdoing, they don't need condemnation, they need restoration. And he says, you who are spiritual, those who are living in step with God's word and with his spirit, I would encourage you when when you consider how can I go to help someone, what can I do, make sure that you are following the lead of the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to take care of them. And you know what? I I really, I want to help in some way. I have... I have some love in my heart for that person. I believe God maybe has put me in position to be able to help them. There's a major difference. People need restoration, not condemnation, and that comes from spiritual people. He says, those who are spiritual should restore such a person. To restore something, they might have heard this or read this and understood that the word there is used, the same word for mending a fishnet. As you know, many of the people back during that time made their living by fishing, and so when the nets were broken, they had to be restored in order to be usable again, and that's the idea. For some, maybe you think of it as, I'm going to the chiropractor to get adjusted. Maybe you do that on a regular basis. Things are a little out of whack. I'm going to go make sure that things are in line. That's the idea of restoration. I'm going to be put back in line again. I'm going to make sure that things are set back up. Here's what should happen when you're helping someone up or when you're receiving that kind of help. Paul says, first of all, there must be gentleness. 
You who are spiritual, he says in verse 1, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. The word gentle there carries the connotation of courtesy, considerateness. It cannot coexist with a harsh, unloving spirit. Paul really is more concerned, you can tell, with those who are going to be doing the restoring than those even in need of restoration. He's wanting to make sure that, look, don't beat these people down with condemnation. Make sure that you go with a gentle spirit. In some cases, and you know this maybe from your own family, even if you've raised children or you've got other folks that you've been very close to, sometimes this kind of restoration begins with a confrontation. Not a confrontation that blows up or that you go in swinging, but a confrontation to say, I'm not sure this is the best path you should be on. I don't think this is where God wants you to be. But the idea that Paul says here, going to them with a gentle spirit is the idea that I'm going to go to them with open arms to embrace them like a mother would her young children. Not going in so that I can be proven to be right or better than them. The truth is, if we obeyed this command to restore each other, to help one another be on the path that God wants us to be on, we'd have a lot less gossip. We would have fewer people who, as the old saying goes, are backslidden, who who aren't walking with God maybe the way that they should be or that God wants them to be. We would have a lot less of that. We would have the church being more unified and advancing Instead of retreating, and we would have certainly the name of Jesus being glorified. This is a huge, huge thing in the church. This is a huge opportunity for us. And I hope that if, if you are a part of Elm Grove on a regular basis, you'll understand this is a great benefit that we have to offer one another, is the chance to make sure that we restore each other and help each other walk with God a little closer each day. Gentleness certainly needs to be a part of it. Paul goes on. In verse 2, to talk about compassion. He says, carry one another's burdens. The word there, carry, just means to shoulder something, to put it on your back, and I'm going to help you walk the miles that you need to walk. It's the idea of carrying or or helping to carry a, a heavy load, support given. Now, he could be talking here, about only the burdens that come from this wrongdoing that he mentions in verse 1. But it seems that he's broadening his topic just a tad to both include that as an example. Here's something that could weigh people down. The word burdens, though, sort of has the idea that there's more involved with this. It could be anything in life that has weighed them down. It could be some temptation, some spiritual moral lapse that they've fallen into. It could be something physically or, or, or maybe something in their home, their relationships, their family. It could be the loss of a job. It could be all kinds of different things. We understand, though, that no one, not even the most spiritually strong person you can think of, no one is immune to the burdens of life. We all are going to have them that weigh us down. They're, they may look different for you. They're going to be specific to who you are and to where you are in life. But no one is immune to that. So when they come, let me just encourage you for a second. When those burdens come, understand that's simply, at least for now, a part of the normal human experience. In a, in a fallen world, a world that is, that is filled with sin, heavy burdens are simply a part of life. I wish they weren't. One day they won't be. 
The Bible tells us that one day Jesus will return to make everything right, the way that it was designed to be from the very beginning. He will create everything new again, and we will not deal with these burdens of life like we do now, but for the time being, we still deal with them. The great thing is that when Paul says here, carry one another's burdens, he's highlighting the fact that God has designed the body of Christ to help each other carry those heavy loads. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul highlighted the body of Christ, that there should be no division among it, that there should be equal concern for all. He just reiterates that we should help one another carry the burdens. Let me say this, even in a church our size, that's not real, real big, certainly not real, real small, somewhere in between, pastoral care is the responsibility of every member of the church. Every member of the church. I don't say that with any bitterness. I want to do all that I can. I know the different leaders in our church want to do all that we can to minister to the body, to minister to the people who are here. But let me say this. It is not the responsibility of only one person or only one group of people. It's not. Are there roles to play? Sure. But pastoral care, the caring for one another, the helping to to lead spiritually, the restoring of people, the meeting of needs, both emotional, physical, whatever they may be, is not only the responsibility of just one person or one group of people. It's for everybody. And I'll say this. I really believe that the way to grow a healthy church, aside from the very obvious things of relying on Scripture and making sure that that's our basis. Some of the the other things that come into play is when everybody takes on the role of pastoral care. I'm not going to let anybody fall through the cracks, and I'm not going to rely on anybody else to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks. I'm going to do it myself. We've got so many people here that do that. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, I, I look around this room, and I can point to all kinds of different folks and say, thank you for doing that. Thank you for continuing to help in that way. Bearing one another's burdens to help to care for people. Paul puts it here not as a suggestion, but as a command. It's in the imperative tense. <laughs> this isn't, hey, uh, you know, if you think about it, if you're not too busy, if you, if you get a chance, then, you know, it helps somebody out. And he says, carry one another's burdens. Then he says, Here's where the compassion comes in. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus himself said it. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the law of Christ. To love each other the way that Jesus has loved us. How did he love us? He came and identified with us, lived among us, and sacrificed and gave himself for us. That's the love of Christ. That's the law of Christ. When Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? What did he say? First, love God. Second, what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. To be a burden bearer for other people is a tremendous privilege and a great ministry. It's something that every Christian can and should do, Paul says. And it's natural for those who are simply just walking by the Spirit. Those who are in tune with God will naturally do these things. Then he goes on in verse 3, and he actually highlighted this a little bit in verse 1, but he talks about a third element that's needed here when we're going to help to set somebody back up, help someone up, and that is humility. If you look back real quick at the end of verse 1, he says, restore people with a gentle spirit. And then he says, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. 
He says, make sure that you are humble and you are examining yourself so that you don't fall into temptation. What kind of temptation is he talking about? Well, maybe he's talking about the temptation toward the same sins that the people who have fallen are experiencing. But I I think maybe more than that, given the verses that he comes up with next, he's talking about the sin, the temptation toward believing you're better than someone else. The sin of pride. doesn't want them to be tempted toward believing that they are on a different stratosphere. That they've arrived, that everybody else just needs to get on board. The temptation toward self-righteousness. Look what he says in verse 3. If anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What's he saying? Well, he's talking about bearing each other's burdens... And the truth is, that can't be done if you think you're better than someone else. You think you're something, when really you're nothing compared to to Jesus. (laughs) You consider yourself to be better than someone, someone else, he says. When you're nothing compared to the one that you should compare yourself to, you're deceiving yourself. Paul says, humility must be there. Spiritual strength is shown in the willingness to go and help someone up. Some of the stuff that I was reading and studying this week, when it talked about verse 3, Talked about this myth, they said, of self-sufficiency. That I don't need anyone. I'm good. I'm something. I can make it through life on my own. Or, that's below me to go and stoop down to help somebody with that. You know, some of the burdens that God may put in front of you to share with other folks are no fun to get involved with. I mean, this isn't, though, they just had a bad day. I need to send them a text message to encourage them. Hey, hang in there. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. I mean, this is hands deep in it, way down in the muck, awful, people struggling, bound up by sin, overwhelmed by life's burdens, and God may have positioned you to be the one who helps carry that burden. And you say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get involved with that. You know what? I don't care. Maybe we find the temptation to deceive ourselves and think that we're better than that. We're above that. I think the converse is true. A lot of times we deceive ourselves into thinking we don't need help. You realize that independence in life is not a sign of strength according to God. It's a sign of pride. To say, well, I can shoulder my own burdens. I don't need anybody. I'll just help everybody else, but I don't need help myself is not some badge of honor to wear according to the Lord it's a sin of pride I don't know if you ever thought about it that way but that's the truth no one is an island if anyone considers himself to be something maybe above helping someone or above being helped when he is nothing he deceives himself humility he goes on in verse 4 but each person should examine his own work take a look in the mirror Paul says Look at who you are. Take a look inside first, and you'll realize that when it comes to earning points with God, you're no better than anybody else. You can take that as a really, really major downer this morning, or you can just say, you know what? Praise God for His grace. I'm no better than anybody else, and Jesus loves me anyway. 
In humility, Paul says, examine yourself, examine your thoughts and your attitudes and your actions and your words and all the things that go on. Are they submitted in obedience to Jesus Christ? To me, that's the essence of discipleship. The the essence of being a disciple of Christ is not perfection. We will never be made perfect this side of heaven. We're still going to sin. The essence of following Jesus is simply submitting ourselves in obedience in every aspect of life to what he has said. Whatever that may mean. Put yourself before the Lord this week and say, God, I just submit myself to you. I don't know what it's going to mean, but I give myself to you. And he says when you do that, you'll have a reason for boasting in himself alone, he says, and not in respect to someone else. No more competition, he says. No more worried about, well, okay, i got to be better than them. <laughs> and if I do, I guess I'm okay. I'll never kind of reach that status. But, you know, somewhere in between where they are and where, you know, where that person is, I think I'll be okay. Paul says, do away with all that stuff. Simply look at your own heart. Is it submitted to God? And let that be enough. He finally wraps this up in verse 5 with what seems to be a contradiction, but it's really not. He talks about some boundaries that we are to have when we are helping other people and when other people are helping us. He says in verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load. Now, if you look at verse 2, carry one another's burdens, and then look at verse 5, for each person will have to carry his own load, what on earth is he saying? That seems to be two different things. Help carry each other's burdens, but everybody should carry their own. What is he saying? Well, he uses two different words. When he's talking about this, he's not making a contradiction. He's not now refuting what he said earlier. What he's talking about is the load that we must carry to stand before the Lord. The burden in verse 2 is something that others can and should help with. The load in verse 5 is the responsibility that each person has as they stand before God Not with other people trying to help them get there, but alone. Christians need to help one another in their struggles, but realize that we each answer to God. We are each responsible to God only for ourselves. The boundary here, and I know that many struggle with this, because if you're anything like me, and I would imagine at least a couple of you are as crazy as I am, you struggle with this. We are are accountable to one another. We are accountable to to help and to receive help. But we are not responsible for one another. And notice the difference. It seems subtle, but it's, it's very stark. We are accountable to help one another and to receive help from each other, to get back up, to stay on the, to the path that God wants us on. But, but I am not responsible. You are not responsible for anyone else. I don't know if that sets you free or if that... Put you on your heels this morning. I have no idea. But you are not responsible for the soul of anyone else. You are not responsible for the decisions they make. Are you accountable to them to do all that you can to try to help them? Absolutely. That's sharing and helping to carry the burdens of one another. But when Paul says everyone must carry his or her own load, guess what? You are going to stand before God by yourself. That person in your life is going to stand before God by himself or herself. You are not responsible for anyone else. There are some boundaries. We are accountable to help them, to receive help. But we're not responsible for their decisions, for their soul, for their standing before God.
And the truth that goes along with that, of course, is that each one of us will stand before God alone. I can't be there for you. Your family can't be there for you. Your Christian friends can't be there for you. Your parents, young people, won't be there for you. You will stand before God alone. Now that can be really scary. And I'll tell you, it should be really scary. It should be terrifying if you're trying to get to God on your own. But it ought to be the most comforting, peaceful, soothing thing in the world if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? When you stand before God alone, guess who your advocate, your representative is? If you have received His free gift by grace through faith, it's not you anymore, it's Jesus Christ. And guess who's acceptable to God? His Son. And guess who's made acceptable to God by faith in His Son? (laughs) All who believe. That's good news. You don't have to be terrified to stand before God on your own. It simply can be overcome by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Lean on me, the song says, when you're not strong. Not an original idea. The song's kind of cool, but I hope when you hear it again sometime, you'll remember Galatians chapter 6, when Paul says, carry each other's burdens. Be strong, give strength when it's needed, receive strength when you don't have it. But ultimately, you stand before God alone, accountable to, accountable to each other, but not responsible for. We see what God wants here for His sons and daughters. We see what's possible in the family of God to help one another to get on the path and stay on the path that God wants us to be on. Even if we've made our own mess, even if life has thrown at us more than we can handle, it's the family of God that He has designed to help us. And I hope that we'll be that kind of people for one another. This week, I, I, I want you to, to do something very simple. Maybe this week you need to help somebody up. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been ignoring or shunning or you just don't know what to do about, and yet you're in perfect position to to somehow help them spiritually. Maybe you take the first step this week. Maybe you stopped praying for that person a long time ago. Maybe the first step would be to, to begin praying for them again. Maybe it's a step of gentleness or compassion or humility. I'm not sure how it is that God will want you to put this into practice. But I wonder, would you consider, how is it, God, that you want me to help someone up this week? But then secondly, I recognize we probably have a lot of people here who are pretty good at helping people up, but maybe aren't aren't very good at asking for help up. Maybe our pride gets in the way. Let me encourage you first, as I've mentioned before several times this morning already, the gospel message. First, recognize that we need help up from God Himself. We're flat on the floor and we cannot save ourselves. You you are unable to overcome your own sin. And so maybe you'd simply cry out and say, God, help me up. Maybe you'd reiterate the gospel message to yourself to say, Lord Jesus, I know you died to overcome all of this, and I need you to help me up. Maybe you'd ask for help getting up this week, first from God and then from somebody else. You you may shock them, but I I doubt it. To go to somebody and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. 
I mean, I, there's, there's a sin in my life. There are several sins or whatever it may be. I, I'm just, I keep falling into it over and over and over and over, and I don't know what to do. Would you help me? If somebody comes to you this week, and, and they need that kind of help, what does the Bible tell us here in Galatians 6? Restore them. Help to restore them. Put them back up on their feet with a spirit of gentleness. They don't need condemnation. They need restoration. Or maybe you've got just the burdens of your life that are weighing you down and you can't get out from under. And you say, you know what, I, I know I just need to handle this on my own. Guess what? The Bible says, no, you don't. Find somebody, a godly person, a mentor, a friend, somebody who's walking with Jesus to say, look, I've got more on me than I can possibly handle. I need some strength from somebody. And yes, I know I need to rely on Jesus, but I tell you what, he's put you in my life. Would you help me? Maybe this week you'd help someone up or you'd ask for help getting up. I think those two things are powerful. As Paul mentions, it's part of what the family of God does as they're together. We are going to, this morning, close in a little different way we're going to close by taking what you might call communion or the Lord's Supper. When the disciples and the early church all gathered together, and it's very fitting that we do this in a series called Together, one of the things they did on a regular basis was to remember by a symbol the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. They shared it together. It was a sign of unity and a sign of identification with the death of Jesus Christ. It was also a proclamation of the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to close by doing that. Let me encourage you, as the plates are passed, you'll receive a small little cracker. You may take one of those, hang on to it, I'll come back and read some scripture and pray, and then we'll eat that together as the family of God. Then we'll hand out the, the cup that's got the juice in it, representing the blood of Jesus. And we'll take that together after I read some scripture and pray. Let me encourage you. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have given your life to him. I would love for you to participate this morning. As the big family of God we have gathered together this morning, we'll celebrate, we'll show our unity, and we'll proclaim, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the death of Jesus through this participation. Let me ask our deacons, if you guys would, you can make your way down here. Daniel, play a little for us, and, and then we'll take this together. Thank you for your patience this morning. It'll take a little while to get through and hand everything out. Make sure that if you want to participate this morning, that you, uh, that you do. The Bible tells us that we should examine ourselves during this time. I think, first of all, to make sure that you know Jesus. Maybe this is the morning that you cry out to Him and say, Lord, save me. Don't take it out of obligation this morning. Don't take it because you think you should or because everybody in your row is. But as a means to celebrate and identify once again with the death of Jesus Christ and to proclaim it. We'll pass this out. I'll pray. We'll take it together.